Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. TheFireStore.com, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can make the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com and shop our deals page. Welcome to this edition of Fire and Training with Chief Doug Klein. I am not Chief Doug Klein, but I'm your fill-in host, Christopher Naum. I want to welcome you here to our episode of Fire and Training with Chief Klein. Uh, Chief Klein will be joining us here momentarily. Um, I'm actually one of his guests on his program here tonight, but again, it's always a pleasure to welcome our audience to uh, Chief Klein's Fire and Training episode here on fireengineering.com. Uh, we're very excited. We're kicking off a, a new series here for our podcast over the next uh, couple of, uh, of episodes. So I'm going to take a few moments to uh, let you all know what we're planning on doing and uh, give you some uh, ability to schedule out some of our future programs here, both on Chief Klein's Fire and Training podcast, as well as on my uh, Buildings on Fire Taking to the Streets program. So we had talked about a couple of things uh, in our previous two episodes, both on Chief Klein's episode, as well as on my last episode here, talking about some of the emerging issues dealing with fire ground, talking about tactical windows, talking about some of the challenges with buildings and occupancy types. One of the things that we made mention of uh, in both of our last episodes was that we were uh, contemplating rolling out a series that would provide some more in-depth insights versus some of the more shorter version podcasts and, and webcasts that you're normally accustomed to, to uh, gain some better insights and gain some, some better depth on the topic. And that topic is the commercial fireground. Today's fireground, when we talk about commercial buildings and occupancies and structures, continue to stress and challenge just about all organizations from the smallest rural department to the largest metro and urban sized department based upon the uniqueness of both old and new commercial buildings, as well as the fire loading packages, the conditions encountered, civilian uh, load capacities and other related factors that are affecting the fire ground when we do have incidences of these types. So I'm very pleased to uh, roll out and announce our new series as we finish off 2023 and as we prepare to roll into 2024. Uh, and again, we're kicking off here on fire and training on Chief Klein's program, our fire ground, uh, the commercial fire ground series of the commercial fire ground FACTS, F-A-C-T-S, uh, the FACTS series dealing with commercial buildings, fire ground operations, training, preparedness, and such. So our first episode here on fire and training is going to talk about the commercial fire ground dealing with today's challenges and some of the preparedness issues that are affecting all of us in terms of keeping up to date with new construction, keeping up to date with the commercial um, 
adaptive reutilization of our buildings, as well as renovations, alterations, and other conversions that are affecting a variety of different buildings that go from some occupancy, whether it be commercial to begin with, or into uh, new establishments and new commercial occupancies that either have similar or different levels of risk. So part one is going to be, again, the challenges affecting uh, today's fire ground, dealing with commercial fire uh, operations, today's challenges in preparation. Part two of our series, which will roll into our Buildings on Fire Taking to the Streets segment that I'll be hosting directly. We'll be talking about building construction and some of the related risks regarding the first arriving construction tactics and safety. So we'll talk a little bit more about construction-related impacts, whether they, they be the standalone commercial building or what we're all very familiar with when we talk about the big box types of, of structures and some of those uh, related aspects. Part three of our series will be uh, the commercial fire ground uh, dealing with the operational side. And we're very pleased to uh, be able to let you know that we'll have a number of guests that will be coming into that particular program, which will include uh, Chief Aaron Heller out of New Jersey, Chief Jason Hulverman out of Missouri, Chief Doug Klein will be on the program, and we may have one other uh, guest that we're still waiting to uh, get some confirmation on. But we will certainly have uh, three very well-established credentialed individuals who can talk more about some of the related issues dealing with the operational side. So our first episode, again, challenges related uh, and preparational related issues. Part two of our series will talk about building construction and some of the associated risks that uh, are are inherent of those particular buildings. Part four of our series will deal with the operational side of the commercial fire ground. And we are also hoping to have a fourth part of our series, and that's still in our tentative stages right now. But uh, part four of our commercial fire ground series will deal with lessons and learnings and the new risks. And we'll talk more about some of the emerging hybrid related structures, especially when we talk about cross laminate timber, mass timber, but more importantly, the hybrid related types of structures that are affecting our buildings, both for the standalone and then what we call the small footprint commercial building. So that is going to be our uh, four four part multiple series coming about here that we're kicking off here on Chief Klein's fire and training. So um, we actually rolled out about four years ago, three three years ago, we did a uh, just a two part series. Chief Klein and I talked a little bit about co the commercial fire ground. We had a couple of guests uh, that included uh, uh, Jim Duffy, Chief Duffy out of Connecticut, uh, Chief uh, Danny Sheridan out of FDNY, and we talked about the emerging issues dealing with commercial buildings. And for many of us that have had experience dealing with commercial fire ground, we know all too well the uh, the challenges and the associated risks with these particular occupancy types. There is a very distinct difference in these buildings, especially when we talk about the era and vintage in which these buildings were built, the associated uh, type of construction and the anatomy of these particular buildings, and how that construction, building anatomy, the era and vintage, how those things play together to influence our command decision-making, our company-level deployment, the task-level uh, tactical approaches, and many of the other uh, aspects that affect fire ground operations. Again, both from all the way from the company level of the first due uh, company coming in to the assemblance of the first alarm assignment, and then ultimately what normally in many instances, I shouldn't say normally, but in many instances when we have escalating events that normally occur from the all hands to greater alarms, box still alarms and so forth, uh, to the greater alarm uh, types of events where we 
have that distinctive need in a timely fashion to have a greater degree of resources based upon the size, the complexity of the buildings, but more importantly, the size, the footprint, the volume, and the fire loading that normally we are encountering based upon our initial arrivals and, and the conditions that we are encountering. So there are certainly a lot of challenges that are associated with these particular uh, related buildings and those conditions and the related aspects that come about. So um, we really look forward to having you listen in at some point with our podcasts and now our our combined uh, webcast series that we are very, very fortunate to have available to us here through our, our good friends here at, at fireengineering.com which uh, again, I really encourage you to take the time and, and invest in seeking out and taking a look at the archived programs that are available within the vast library of the podcast programs on fireengineering.com and take a look at the subject area, take a look at the, the content, and more importantly, the variety of uh, both podcasters, the primary producers, and the authors of those, as well as the guests. There is a tremendous degree of opportunity to take in to account some very stimulating and some very thought-provoking and very insightful uh, types of uh, educational programs here that uh, fire engineering is always known for and that extends as part of our uh, podcast and the webcast series. So uh, some really, really good things coming about. I will take a couple of moments here to make mention of some of the upcoming things that are, are occurring here as uh, we wait a little bit for Chief Klein to, to come into the program. Um, again, FDIC is uh, just around the corner. So again, April will not be too far away when we talk about April 2024. FDIC is, is shaping up to be another stellar opportunity for those of you that are longtime attendees, as well as any of those of you that are thinking about attending as, as being a first-time uh, attendees and so forth. I really encourage you to take a look at the agendas and the programs as they are being published and pushed out. I know that recently some of the initial uh, video clips that are promoting some of the programs are coming about. Uh, I myself will have the distinct uh, pleasure and the honor and privilege to be presenting a four-hour workshop in the early uh, a couple of days of FDIC, talking about building facts, first arriving construction tactics and safety, talking about size up considerations and a significant portion of our four hour uh, program as part of the workshop will include a uh, component dealing with the commercial fire ground. It's actually part of, our, part of a national program that we do that is inclusive of both a stand face-to-face uh, -face program with a four-hour and a multi-hour type program series that gets into really uh, uh, the, the details of both construction, operational aspects, performance-based issues, uh, dealing with the commercial fire ground from a, again, from our model of building facts, first arriving, construction, tactics, and safety. And if we think about how those uh three components fit into that first arriving. First arriving, that 10 to 15 to 20 minute window that we have in which construction directly influences our tactical approach, decision-making process, and how that ultimately also influences our safety and risk management of those incidences. It's certainly a foundation of our modeling that many of you have uh, come to know very well in our programs and our presentations, our dialogues and discussions in many of our in all of our programs, both in Chief Klein's program as well as on, on Buildings on Fire, taking it to the street. So I encourage you to take uh, the opportunity to, to look at our upcoming program and see if that might uh, fulfill some needs from a training standpoint. There are numerous other exceptional uh, 
both uh, workshops that are going to be presented at FDIC 2024, as well as an exceptional uh, compilation of classroom presentations, as well as the keynotes, opening ceremonies, as well as the hands-on programs. Um, speaking of which, I, I do want to also indicate that we will more than likely be uh, uh, streaming live from the floor of FDIC as we did uh, this past year in 2023, right from the fishbowl, which is that Four Corners area there in the convention center. We will be uh, presenting live one of our podcasts and webcast programs with uh, a variety of different uh, guests that we'll have on our program. So we'll be do looking forward to doing that live from FDIC on a date to, to be determined. And then in addition to our formal classroom session, we have been uh, authorized and been given the approval to do a uh, separate uh, off-site, meaning off the, uh, um, off the grounds of the convention center, but we will have a after hours reading the buildings walking tour. And you'll see some more things coming up here in the next uh, couple of weeks and certainly over the next couple of months talking about uh, taking the classroom into the streets. One of our flagship programs nationally has been the uh, Buildings on Fire taking to the streets, reading the buildings uh, programs where we actually take the classroom into the streets to size up and do uh, street lectures, curbside conversations, talking about building construction related back to the built environment and what better place to do that is in the built environment and within the streets. So we're, we're looking to take our particular uh, workshop program out of the classroom from FDIC and into the streets of Indianapolis on a date to yet to be determined. So keep an eye on uh, that. And that is going to be just an extra. We will have limited uh, spots available. It will be a pre-registered uh, event so that we can ensure that we can uh, manage the uh, potential audience that uh, may be uh, interested in coming. If there are more interest levels than, than spots uh, are available, we will also take uh, a look at maybe offering that on a couple of uh, different uh, dates and times. And again, it'll be during the off hours uh, at the conclusion of the daily programs and official training programs of FDIC, but it will be an extension of FDIC that we'll be offering uh, for those of you that may have an interest. In addition to that, one of the other features that we have been doing uh, uh, quite well over the last uh, three years at FDIC, both uh, prior to COVID and then uh, kicking that back up again two years ago, is uh, reading the buildings. And we'll have some ex uh, extensive online social media postings uh, of buildings, construction size up. So again, take a look and, and be aware of some of those things that'll be coming up here in the not too uh, distant future. So let's get into a little bit of our program here as we start talking about some of the issues and into our conversation, again, exploring the commercial fire ground uh, relative to today's challenges as they relate back to preparation, both pre-fire plant planning pre-incident intel, training issues, and so forth. And that'll be part of our conversation here on Fire and Training on Chief Klein's program. One of the things that I do want to make uh, you aware of that there are uh, two very distinctive, uh, actually there's three distinctive resources that I'll draw your attention to, and uh, two of which are certainly required readings that I, I would highly encourage you to take a look at. And the third is one of our continuing conversations on where can you gain some additional uh, leverage and insights regarding your particular training and uh, knowledge uh, increase uh, to 
to help promote your skill set level within your particular current rank and position of authority, as well as some of the future positions that you may be seeking to uh, to attain. And one of those required reading books is uh, Francis D.K. Ching or Francis Ching, C-H-I-N-G, Building Construction Illustrated. And again, there are a number of editions that are currently available. You can uh, get to those particular uh, uh, books either online through Amazon.com or any other uh, resources and so forth that you might have an interest in. But again, I would highly encourage you to take a look at and obtain Francis Ching's Building Construction Illustrated as one of the uh, books that will certainly help you gain some additional knowledge and insights on building construction. The second um, uh, two required readings that I would highly uh, encourage you to take a look at uh, would also include two documents uh, that are, are very specific to our conversation here on the commercial fireground. And uh, the second document is uh, Underwriters Laboratories or UL's study, uh, the coordinated fire attack utilizing acquired structures, and then the exploratory analysis of the impact of ventilation on strip mall fires. Both of those particular books, uh, or excuse me, those two particular reports are very insightful. They are what we would consider to be advanced level uh, readings and insights. But again, if you want to gain some further insights on the complexities and demands, especially in preparation for our part three series dealing with operational perspectives, I would encourage you to take a look at those. And then lastly, the other document, which uh, currently is available as a free access document, and that would be on the uh, NFPA, National Law Fire Protection Association, and that documented is the, is the NFPA, NFPA 1700 Guide for Structural Firefighting. And that was published and issued in 2021, and it'll give you some very good insights on different occupancy types as they relate to tying back in some of the emerging theories and insights that we've gotten from both research and development and how that ties into some of the emerging issues that we'll be talking about here in our four multi-part series on the commercial fireground. So two uh, very uh, interesting documents uh, that I would encourage you to take a look and uh, get some insights on. So that's sort of the, uh, the basis of where we're going into our program. And again, uh, what I'm getting ready to do now is to introduce our host on fire and training that all of you very well have uh, become very well known for and uh, good friends of, and that's Chief Doug Klein. So, uh, Doug, it's it's glad to. I'm just filling and keeping your seat warm here as we got kicking off of our program uh, in anticipation of you joining us. So, uh, it's it's your show, and again, I've just led everybody into our part one program talking about this episode as part of our kickoff series for our four part series on the commercial fireground, talking about on today's episode. Uh, challenges and preparation. So uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you, boss. Well, Chris, thank you for filling in. Um, I apologize for being slightly delayed. Uh, doing preparation work is exactly what we were doing today in an assessment center with a uh, regional department, uh, helping them out as they were uh, testing some lieutenants. But, you know, part of what comes with that is, is we're talking here about our commercial building, this four-part series which is I'm, I'm just stoked about uh, anytime that we can be able to get into and, and plan the depth of conversation and information and training that we're going to put out. It, it's always exciting to get to that point. And the first part of that, we always start everything out with. It was like the series 
on the uh, resort fires. We, we started out talking about all these different resorts, but how you start preparation and how you start understanding what's going on in your streets, in your town, your jurisdiction, you know, the types of buildings, how you train for those, what are some of the considerations and the tactics you got to put into play? And that's kind of where we're going to go tonight with the commercial fire ground, the new challenges, being prepared. And I think that's the key word, being prepared. And as we look at this, our buildings are drastically changing. And it's an ever-evolving component that's going on, the growth that's going on in some of the parts of the United States. Uh, South Carolina specifically is experiencing that. I was just in uh, West Virginia over the weekend and some of the areas that we're driving through. Uh, the types of commercial structures that are popping up is you know, really unique. And some of these are the bigger box stores that are coming in. A lot of them are the, the smaller uh, standalone, what we call big box stores with the dollar generals and the family dollars, those type of things. But we're seeing commercial strip malls pop up that aren't the large traditional L-shaped or or U-shaped type construction features that are in there or the dynamics that go with that, but a smaller, a more linear type that may only have four or five uh, stores. And we're seeing those all over the place here. I saw a bunch in, in West Virginia as I was traveling through there, uh, through Virginia and North Carolina, both of those, you know, a lot of things that were popping up. So really excited about what we're doing, Chris. So let's, let's dive in deep and Let's begin talking about getting out into your streets. You were talking about that earlier uh, as as we were getting in right as I was coming on with taking it to the streets, getting out there, getting a look, knowing what's in your jurisdiction. So let's talk about that pre-planning concept. Well, you know, I think it it goes without saying, if you don't know what's going on in your first due, uh, then what is it that you're doing? You know, if you have, if you do not have an appreciation and are not monitoring conditions surrounding whether it be your first due uh, or or the larger encompassing jurisdictional area of your of your department's uh, response area, whether it be the first due, a, a battalion, a division, or if you're uh, in a smaller type of a geographical footprint, you know the entire response area of your of your organization department. You have to have a pulse of that. But what is going on outside on your streets? Uh, beyond the apron of the fire station is so, so critical, especially especially when we talk about the aspects of the commercial building. The commercial building, uh, whether it be, and we'll talk more about the ca- characteristics and the categorization of those in our part two episode under construction and so forth, but buildings in the commercial realm, just like residential structures, have very distinctive characteristics, whether we talk about the standalone all the way to the big box. But it's very, very important for us, meaning the fire service, especially as company and commanding officers, to recognize, uh, number one, to identify and recognize what it is that's occurring, whether it be new construction or renovation of our buildings, identifying the occupancy type and the occupancy risks that are associated with that particular building, and then gaining some additional insights regarding the construction, the footprint, and what's going to go in there? I mean, the simplest part of it, what's going to go into this commercial building and how is that going to be impacting me, meaning the the company, the fire station, the fire department in response to uh, future uh, incidences and so forth. So if we're not aware of our, of our world and our environment, we're not getting out on the streets, whether it's going past these buildings, uh, going to other alarms, or whether we consciously stop 
and deliberately engage ourselves uh, with our companies to identify some information, whether it be through the contractors or through self-exploration at the company level or the individual level, seeing what's going on, you know, doing some observations, talking about some things at the curbside with our personnel, and more importantly, gaining further insights from a technical standpoint for the, from those that are building the buildings, developing the buildings, or uh, lastly, the occupants of the buildings. So it's not always the construction side of it. We may be aware of a existing building that's been renovated, a new commercial occupancy is taking place. Now let's stop and talk to the owners. Let's talk to the tenants and ask some questions about uh, what's going on in that building. Well, you know, Chris, one of the things that I was I was just thinking, and I, I just reached back into the, the tools that I got to get into the NFPA uh, pre-incident survey uh, standard. And, you know, one of the things that I recognize is when, when we go to pre-plan these buildings, when we get out looking at the streets, part of what we really want to get into is, is knowing a couple of things. And one is we need to begin with the dirt that it's sitting on. You know, what type of area are you in? You know, does it have a basement? Does it have, you know, a different owner for the actual dirt or the space? Who owns the building? And then who are the tenants inside the building? Who are the occupants? And I think that gets down to, to where we got to talk and focus on, you know, a couple of different things. Because one of the things it talks about in the process is, is being involved in roles and responsibilities of, of what you're doing there. So one of the pieces I ask in a question, we were talking about training this weekend at, at the program where I was at and really looking at the signs that your training program is failing you. And one of them is, are you going out and pre-planning your jurisdiction and then training based upon what your pre-plans are? So understanding, you know, what your challenges are, just like we talked in resort fires, commercial buildings are the same way, depending on where they're sitting on that piece of dirt. What's the backside look like? Does it drop off? Do we have good access? Do we not have good access? You know, are we going to be able to advance hose lines? Can we throw ladders? Can we position apparatus? All that begins with that first feature of that. And then when we get into the building itself is, is all the construction stuff. And we'll, we'll get into that in part two and talk about the different types. But I want to focus a little bit on the occupancy is because some of these buildings are good size, especially when we begin thinking about tactical deployments or uh, what are we going to be doing to train for these? How do we get people ready? Do we really know what we're up against? And I asked a question. I said, how many people have been 100 to 150 feet deep inside one of these commercial buildings? All of them have commercial buildings, and that's something they got to stop and think about is a commercial building is much more than we, we think of these huge, huge occupancies, but, you know, I think about a church is a commercial building in a sense. It's, it's a place of worship, but it is a commercial building. We think about gas stations or convenience stores. We think about our, you know, quick access to, to fast food restaurants. Those are commercial buildings. So we when you ask that question and you only get one or two hands that go up, that tells me that our experience level is extremely low, which makes it even more critical as we talk about getting out into your streets and beginning, you know, your, your training process. And one of the areas I talked about that we were failing so much in is we tend to 
not plan very well for our, our training. We don't look at what we actually have and we don't match our training to our responses. We try to be, you know, touch this, touch that, or we'll train on what's just fun or what we like. But I think we got to begin looking at our training programs where we're actually training on what is the demographics and the potential response capabilities of what you have versus what you're going to be up against, you know, your challenges within your jurisdiction. And I, I think back to Gordon Graham and his, his model when he draws on, on the screen of his Elmo now, used to be the overhead projector. And it's it's the types of responses you're doing. Your, your high risk, low frequencies are some of the things that we're talking about here with these commercial structures. And what do you know about them? And are you prepared? And I think that's a big piece of that we really need to get people thinking about when we're doing pre-planning and when we're out and especially developing training programs that are specific to what your jurisdiction is, especially as a company officer or, you know, in the volunteer department, you know, you're only meeting a couple of nights or, or so a month. It's critical that you're out doing these things. Well, you know, you bring up some, some really good points there, Doug, you know, part, part of it, I think that as we, we get into this conversation is this uh, uh, position of complacency. You know, we we don't recognize the potential risk uh, of these particular buildings. It is a another structure. It's an, a, another building that we have some degree of knowledge on, some type of training that we've trained on other types of buildings, but maybe not from a standpoint of the uniqueness of the commercial structure because Commercial construction, commercial buildings are certainly significantly different than the residential structures, although we may have large area residentials, as we've talked about on both of our programs with mega mansions or mech mansions as uh, commonly referred to. But uh, commercial buildings that are upwards of 15, 20 or 30,000 square feet or higher uh, present significant challenges that Again, we primarily stretch the line. We entered into the structure. We are not considering air management. We're not considering deployment. We're not considering orientation, uh, trying to maintain integrity of being able to make our way back out under duress. And again, there are many events and incidences that come to mind when we talk about uh, case studies that we'll talk about in one of our future episodes. But uh, again, some of the challenges just coming about when we talk about the March uh, 2001 event at the uh, Southwest Supermarket Fire in Arizona. The uh, the whole issues dealing with a routine fire in a commercial building and how rapidly and escalating that particular event occurred. Uh, or the other one that comes to mind is the uh, uh, commercial fire that occurred in a very small strip mall uh, application in uh, Michigan, which uh, dealt with a line of duty death of a very young firefighter who was trapped about. Uh, uh, so it was uh, 300, if I'm not mistaken, so it was about 300 feet from, from front to rear, and they were about 150 foot into the building, as you just was describing, and there was a structural collapse, entrapment, and unfortunately, we had uh, one firefighter that was killed, three others that were injured in 2013 in that commercial fire. So it's that complacency creep that comes in, either because of the lack of experience in commercial fire events, or it's the lack of building intel, both pre-incident intel or other intel that, that should be obtained uh, as we are engaging in that building during the course of our operations, and then adjusting accordingly based upon uh, 
what we are learning more about that that particular building. And it ultimately goes back to uh, conservative bias, having a much greater respect for what can go wrong in commercial buildings than uh, than any other type of structure. You know, and I'm, I'm going to read something specifically out of 1620 in NFPA Chapter 4.7. Uh, it says, training pre-incident planning process shall include the provision for training and education for those portions of the pre-incident plan that involve unique and unusual operations. Now, for the most part, and if we're not having a lot of folks that have been inside these buildings or we're not getting a lot of fires in your jurisdiction and commercial buildings that we're talking about, those become unique. And the considerations that have to be taken in, into consideration and deployed and practice is critical. So one of the things we know that has happened multiple times, we've seen this in NIOSH reports, Chris, and we, we've talked about this on previous shows, is that we go into deploying residential tactics on commercial buildings. And even in, you know, we talked about this in the McMansion show about some of the size of these buildings that are residential require commercial tactics. Well, anytime you go into a commercial building, we definitely need to be deploying different tactics. And this time of year specifically, I think about the fuel loading that goes into these with the Christmas holidays, the the higher levels of stock that, you know, were there, the types of decorations that are that are put up and then sold. And, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges that go into this that I don't think our people necessarily always think about. No. It's just a building. You know, you make a great point. And I, let me just interject here. So our listeners, so this is the holiday season. We're in the month of December as, as this episode is being um, um, uh, published and put out. I would encourage for those of you that are, again, timely in a timely standpoint, if this is the month, get out there and take a look at whether it be a small commercial retail building or the large box stores and take a look at the fire load that's that's obvious that we are seeing from the storefronts uh, that you're entering access ways that now normally are, are quite open and accessible to the kinds of things that in certain brand stores are now loaded up with different types of displays and materials and commodities and whatever it is that you're looking for are going to be there. So we've increased fire load. We are decreasing other potential life safety considerations within the building, but the fire load that's present in the obvious part of the public side of the building, now start asking the question, what's in the loading dock and the storage areas behind the uh, behind the walls in the non-public side? And the stuff that's there in the retail standpoints in particular, whether it be decorative or part of the retail commercial stuff that you're going to be buying and how that dramatically changes uh, considerations on operations. I mean, there's no question and what better time to to look at that than during these periodic holiday seasons. So it's not only the holiday period that we're currently in, although this is probably the most significant in terms of its overall impact that normally starts back in the August, September timeframe when shipments are starting to be brought in. I mean, this stuff doesn't just show up overnight. Um, there is this periodic uh, increase of commodities and inventory, and then eventually it goes from the um, – the storage side to the public side that we now are seeing. So uh, we've got to recognize those because those things will dramatically change our operation perspectives. But you know, you talked about this other aspect here. We talk about residential 
tactics and we talk about commercial tactics. And when we talk about the unusual circumstances, number one, what's the frequency of commercial fires that you've gone to? And I'm not talking about just responding to a, a uh, of, of an odor or more commonly when we talk about a, an alarm drop, even alarm activation, typically a sprinkler drop uh, because of pressurization or other related things, things that require some, some work and activities beyond the first alarm assignment. There are standpipe operations. There are hydraulics related to a variety of different risers and manifolds and sprinkler systems that are going to be specific to certain zones within the building. There are other related life safety and operational considerations. And there, there's just a lot of complexities, even in a simple building. And whether we talk about the big box to the small standalone, that standalone may be, let's say, two or 3,000 square feet. There's a significant level of risk there, depending upon the construction and the occupancy, where the fire is and, and where our personnel are at a particular point in time during the deployment. So a lot of moving parts to it. And one of the things to keep in mind as well is, and we, we've talked about this, and especially putting it into your thought process for tactical deployment is this time of year, the hours are different and the occupancy loading is drastically different as well. And we have to take that into consideration for the rescue components, uh, the focus on that, the responses for that. And in addition with the, especially if we go multi-story in some of these commercial buildings, or especially if they have a second floor or a loft area that's there, the amount of loading that's going into that with your live loads and your dead loads, those, those pieces that are going uh, into the component of complexities that you have to account for this time of year. But occupancy is something that comes out, you know, not just how it's occupied, but how populated it is in some of these buildings and how easy it is for folks to get lost and, and no accountability to how many people could be in a commercial building. I think the occupancy load is another critical factor uh, when we talk about the uniqueness of commercial buildings. So when we talk about challenges and preparation, I think we have to garner a degree of respect for the building's function and use and what the occupancy may be, both in terms of the public and those that service the building, meaning the employees. Uh, so, you know, during certain periods of the year, holiday seasons and other seasons, or, or when we transition from one seasonal type of condition, let's say from winter to summer, or uh, such as down in the uh, in your area where you're transitioning to a larger increase in population because we're going from summer to winter, and that's going to create an entirely uh, different type of population that's going to be coming forward and then going into these particular buildings. So, you know, it is the employees that are going to be there depending upon their hours of operation. It's the seasonal aspects of it, and then those that frequent the, frequent the building based upon the hours of operation. So, there's also special conditions and special sales and, that occur during two different times of year. So occupancy load becomes critical in recognizing that it also may fluctuate seasonally during the course of the year. So, you know, we've got to plan for that. Even though we're planning for the building, we're dealing with certain aspects of the building, its function, its use. Think about this because many times our, our listeners do not, and we hear it time and time again when we are presenting and, and interfacing with our audience and our students in the classroom session, is that we are not we are not considering the occupancy aspect enough 
because of the numbers of people that may be in these in these particular buildings. So that's a critical, critical component in the planning uh, process. Do I have enough personnel to do an initial uh, search? Where are they going to go? Again, if there's a point of egress that normally is the point that you're entering into that building, and let's say there is a significant uh, event that's occurring in the checkout area, you may find a sizable population of individuals that were occupying that building that may be in storage rooms or other uh, areas of refuge that we have to think about alternate means to get to and then also think about alternate means to get them out of. It's not always point of entry, point of exit. We've got to be considering all of these other aspects uh, if they are available. One of the other pieces that, that comes to play right after what was in the training is in uh, 4.9 of 1620, and that's after a post-incident. And a lot of times we'll, we'll run calls, and it won't be as serious. We're, we're running the alarms or we're running the medical calls in the building, and that's a perfect time to actually take a look at what's there, what's not there. And it says, you know, post-incident, we're supposed to be reviewing what's actually in our pre-plans. And you know, nowhere in there does it say what type of incident. It, it's it says post incident. So when we have the opportunity to be in buildings, and especially if we have some type of a, a, a working incident from a fire perspective, is that we begin looking at the pre plan and did we pre plan it correctly? Do we have all the information? Did we strategically, you know, plan out what we were supposed to be doing or how we would do this uh, specifically, and then. If it's not correct or that needs to be updated or there's been changes, then you have to modify your pre-incident survey. And that's a perfect time. That's a perfect training piece. But that's part of what's required in there is for you to be training on these. And pre-incident surveys, especially if you're in the, the second or third due, you may not be able to get over to that building. But you're going to be responsible for the response into that with a, a certain component that's going to be within your tactical objectives within your organization. And you need to be reviewing those. You need to be talking about or planning. And when you can swap districts to look at these, or you get a chance to be over there off of another alarm, swing through and just take a look at some of these, these buildings that could be target hazards for you. And that's important. And I think we fail to do that on a, a regular basis, Chris, uh, as a fire service across the United States. I think we fail at that miserably. Well, it's usually one one and done. You know, we invest that limited amount of time to obtain that initial building intel and data information, capture it, put it into whatever type of a database or access base that we have. Uh, we may visit it on occasion. And unfortunately, we see time and time again, especially within incident after action reports, the NIOSH reports or other significant event uh, reporting that the frequency of keeping up with changes in that building, the accuracy of the information. So again, we try to oversimplify it, although the NFPA standards provide some, some really useful templates. Uh, you've got to modify the template based upon the building's associated hazards and risks, the footprint, the complexities, and other related items. So there is a skeletal baseline amount of information that needs to be drawn out and expanded, and then also to be inclusive of tactical and command considerations. I think that uniquely there are pre-incident information that is very, very useful at the company uh, tactical level, and then there's another set of parameters and uh, data points and information that relate back to the building intel that are more useful 
at the command level. So it's not always I've got to bunch it all together. They can sometimes be distinctively binned in and be extracted based upon the operational needs. And I would add the, 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 the other note to this is that do not be afraid to share that information. And again, at the command level. So if we talk about some of the things that are affecting us, we, we've got access to, to the information either uh, via our computer terminals, uh, via that type of electronic database, or the hard copies that are available to us at the command post. We sometimes do not verbally communicate that over the radio or make use of our runners to take that information and communicate that face-to-face at a forward uh, tactical position so that those that are operating either at the command or the tactical uh, positions in the forward positions of operation have that inf- that that type of data and information available to us. So, you know, it, it's that short-circuiting. We, we have either access to it and we're failing to communicate or, or we don't have the information and we're flying by the seat of our pants. So sometimes it's one or the other. But uh, I think I would say that more often than not, if the question to the audience is this, how many of you have pre-fire plans that are up to date of some of your, let's say, just targeted hazards of commercial buildings? You know, that's a great thing. But the question is, rhetorically, do you even have them? And if you don't, why not? And I'm sure we can answer the question of why not very easily because don't have time, don't have interest. Nobody's telling us to do it. Uh, I'm too busy with other related conditions. Oh, they're protected properties. This is what we're told that building can can do under fire conditions. Therefore, there's this false sense of security about the severity, the urgency, the the uh, the hazards associated with uh, with the events and the the probability of the events even occurring. And again, Chris, this comes back down, and and I'm gonna pinpoint whose responsibility this is. This is the company officer. This is the ones that are the ones running the calls, making decisions, you know, initially pulling up on these buildings. And they're the ones generally are that are working with pre-incident surveys. And it falls back to them. And I think it's a critical part that it's not the most sexy thing that we go out and, and we have the opportunity to do from a training perspective. But it's probably one of the most critical ones that we fail to utilize or do at the level that I think that we need to be doing them. And. Again, that's that's one of the challenges about these commercial buildings is they dynamically change. I know I can go in one building. Uh, a good example is is grocery stores. You can go in a grocery store one day and the next week you're in there and they've completely moved the aisles around. Or Walmarts are famous for this. These big box stores that you go into and and all of a sudden it's it's one way one day and then they oh, yeah. completely rearrange things and. That changes the dynamics of your your thought process, your operations, some of your strategic plans when it comes to how you're going to deploy hose lines, how you're actually going to do search and rescue, target areas to where you need to get to for for you know people that could be high hazard like the pharmacies or you know those type of things, and then especially you're probably not going to change the dynamics of they have an automotive component to it, but again you you move one thing from one place one to the other and and you know, a lot of times they don't think about what happens when you put product A next to product B and product A and product B now mix. Uh, well, you know, that's a whole nother component. I think that one of the important aspects we talk about pre-fire planning. So here's here's another little tidbit for our listeners. You know, go out, whether it be, uh, you know, whether it be the Walmart, whether it be the Target, uh, 
uh, or the Home Depots or the Lowe's or whatever building and occupancy type, small or large, and then take a look at the orientation of the layouts. And, and again, think about the types of other types of stores that you have gone into. There are very distinctive types of arrangements that are pretty common, and there's 10 different common types of arrangements in terms of aisleways, travel locations, uh, how businesses, and especially on the commercial side, lead you in and through a building. Sometimes it's, it's in a particular primary entry point, and you're going down these very specific types of aisles. Other times, you're going through them in a diagonal standpoint, almost like a serpentine. So there are very distinctive types of travel arrangements and the orientation of product displays, shelving, and other types of storage areas. The other part of that is the distinctive types of departments in which certain products are, are sold. So by code, there, there has to be certain separations in terms of where the automotive section may be, the lubricants, combustibles and flammables, and other commodities, and especially when we're in a particular mixed-use type of occupancy, which for many of our listeners, and again, there's no distinction, and, and for the record, we're not saying anything negative about Walmart, but Walmart, as an example, because of our listeners frequently, frequently them and the readily available buildings that are out there. So when you go into that Walmart setting, take a look at how things are separated from that commodity standpoint, many of which have food uh, preparation, distribution, and the supermarket component, the retail portion that's normally in the middle, and then at the far other end are normally our garden supplies, uh, sporting goods, automotives, and so forth. So there are separation by positioning in terms of the footprint, but how good is that depending upon when we start mixing everything together in a seasonal standpoint? I, I, you know, and you make it a great point because just the other day, as we transitioned from the Thanksgiving period to the current holiday period in the month of uh, December, there uh, one particular store that I was into was just in the middle of that transition. And they were moving all sorts of things around because you're serving a different type of display, serving a different type of promotion that uniquely starts creating uh, dead zones and, and areas that you may not be able to access or that you had committed to memory that I'm going to enter in this particular door, I'm going to make a turn, I'm going to find a particular aisleway that's going to lead me to a particular location, and that very well may not be the case. So uh, a lot of diversity, and that is becoming more and more common when we talk about these risk factors. And I just a risk factor to throw out there, Chris, not long ago we had an, an opportunity to go into one of those uh, beach bargain stores. And um, they had a they had a small incident in there, and, and basically they were it was mostly smoke removal. But when we went into the back, what's behind the scenes that you don't see? Um, there were multiple layers within the backs of that building to where they were storing things. One of the things we came across was somewhere close to five thousand boogie boards, which is basically foam rubber. Now. This particular store was a major hub for the distribution out of that particular storage component of those two multiple stores throughout you know our region here. So you got to stop and think about it. How much fuel load was in that building specific to that? That again, was it fire protected? Was it sprinklered? 
you know, those type of pieces that go into a pre-plan with fuel loadings and the transition to the time of year. Now, what they're doing, they're stockpiling right now because come springtime, what's going to happen? All those are going to go out as we start getting the beachgoers coming in, especially during the, the peak summer season when a lot of the tourism uh, comes to the beach and, you know, we're out on the beach using those type of products. Uh, they get sold. So they stockpile and they, they take them out. It's the same thing that happens uh, in other retail type stores with their commodities that we have to look at. So, that, I mean, that's that's a critical piece that we need to be looking at, because part of what we're, we're doing in, in pre-incident surveys and planning is, you know, determining what's really there for the building, what's there for the uh, contents, what's there for the protection systems, and then ultimately the occupancy that we have to worry about because life safety is, you know, one of our main focuses and the life safety, first of all, for our own responding folks, but also for the citizens and the public that we're serving. Well, not everything is going to be code compliant either. I mean, you know, you talk about seasonal uh, uh, inventories. We're seeing what used to be very distinctive seasons that were defined by certain months and periods of time and one season or one holiday or period or or commodities that would come and go, uh, but now they're becoming sort of grayed out. So, you know, seasonal uh, uh, types of uh, displays. Here's here's the other thing. So for our listeners, when did the Christmas displays suddenly start arriving and, and being put up into the stores? Well, Halloween wasn't done in October, and we're seeing some of the Christmas types of commodities or that seasonal type of, of, of uh, material suddenly coming on displays and, and increasing the the, uh, the things that were on the public side. So I think it goes back to saying what's behind the door, what's what's behind in the storage areas, uh, within the staging areas, within the loading dock locations. And chances are, if you have not gone back into the loading docks in a while, I would encourage our listeners to get those companies out there. Take a look at, at what's on the backside of our buildings. Take a look at loading docks, compactor locations, the primary receiving and distribution locations and accessibility. Talk about standpipe systems. Talk about sprinkler systems. Talk about any of the access doors. I mean, that 360 on the outside of the building uh, showing up either on the engine, sometimes before committing uh, on the uh, uh, entry point of that particular structure, get your drive around done to take a look at some other factors before you commit, whether it be at the first due uh, company or the first due or second due arriving uh, commanding officer. There, there's a lot of things going on here that as we get into this conversation uh, through our our uh, series here, we're going to start identifying all of these aspects. There's aspects related, as we're talking about here, from a pre-planning standpoint of the building footprint, identifying how that building is sited, topography, landscaping, accessibility. What's the accessibility during the daytime when we're uh, encountering certain uh, uh, population densities regarding the civilians that are present in the building, occupancy loading, the numbers of vehicles that are going to be present, what happens during the nighttime, what happens during weather and climate conditions. I know that in the Northeast, we're always considering snow arrival, snow banks, and limited access conditions that we take for granted when the weather is good, but sometimes they are very imposing factors. So I think when we talk about the challenges, you've got to look at that footprint we have an after appreciation of how that building is sited and that footprint in terms of its square footage and the volume, the topography and the gray changes, whether they be flat or with some other type of landscaping conditions, accessibility points, 
for the access and the removal of, of both civilians and employees, as well as our accessibility into that particular structure, environmental impacts that might be encountered, and then the seasonal related conditions that come about. But first and foremost, it's understanding how that building sits and how that building is going to exist. That leads us into our next conversation during uh, part two. We start to talk a little bit more about the construction component of it. But, uh, you know, we're just we're just hitting we're just talking about the tip of the iceberg here in this brief episode. I mean, we could talk about some of the specifics of these challenges quite extensively. Um, and again, as you just talked about, too, Doug, uh, just even in terms of the training, how many of our listeners that are that are you know listening in on the program? When was the last time you did a tabletop on a commercial building? It doesn't have to be a big box, but when was the last time you did a, a small tabletop talking about strategical and operational issues for that small uh, fast food restaurant or that small commercial or retail building, whether it be the standalone or that small strip commercial building that has, let's say, three or 4,000 square foot tenant spaces of which you have three or four units together. And that's one little standalone building, but collectively you've got 15 or 18,000 square feet, different occupancy types, different occupancy risks. Again, L-shaped, square-shaped, rectangular. What's the training? Do we understand deployment? Do we understand a different tactical level, tactical windows, ventilation, flow paths, vent paths? And now we get more and more into this level of detail here on all of those particular challenges. So I I think one of the things that we need to make our listeners aware of right now, Chris, is that this is a multi-part series. And we're going to dive deep down into um, a lot more detail as we go forward. Uh, This is kind of an introduction to thought process to training about pre-incident planning, getting a mindset set for these commercial-style buildings that we're dealing with that are in your jurisdictions. It's in our jurisdictions that we deal with. They're... uh, you know, one of those uh, low frequency, high risk events is Gordon Graham talks about that can get you in trouble in a heartbeat if you're not prepared. But, you know, as we were talking about that, part three is the commercial fire ground operations and what we'll be doing tactically uh, for many of these buildings. But I think the next piece that we're going to be hitting, Chris, is probably one of the most critical ones is understanding the fire ground, the building construction and the risks that are associated with it because all these buildings are built different. And the late, great Francis Brannigan used to talk about the type six construction. And he he used to say the other crap. And he said, that's when you hodgepodge everything together. And, you know, what do you do with it? How do you look at it? But there's a lot of things that have changed. And then there's a lot of uh, new type of building materials that are going into these that I think we need to talk about that are in commercial structures. And I'm looking forward to part two, uh, which is on your show which is very, very quickly coming upon us. And, and we'll be taking a look at that as, as we look at, you know, buildings on fire, taking it to the streets with, with your show, Chris, which is next up. That's very good. And, and again, that's a, a great way to transition out of our conversation. So we've talked about uh, today's challenges. We talked a little bit about preparation. We've introduced you to some, some insights on uh, some of the standards that are out there, a couple of other uh, insights on some other resources and such. But again, we are just starting into this conversation. And uh, again, there's challenges, there's preparation. You've got to have that building intel. Uh, You've got to start somewhere. Uh, Take a look at what you currently have accessible or access to in terms of information. Um, Is it formal? Is it informal? The other component, are you personally prepared 
Do you have knowledge, training, skill set levels? What's the gap? Identify the gap to prepare yourselves for those next alarms. And don't let uh, complacency creep come in because, again, as uh, Doug mentioned, a low frequency, high risk potential, a lot of things as we get into our series, a lot of things can go wrong in a very in, in a heartbeat. And you've got to have a greater degree of respect of what can occur within that tactical period of operations in these types of commercials. And today's commercial fireground, again, uh, is creating a lot of those challenges, especially as, as Doug just mentioned, uh, specific to the hybrid structures. We, we just do not sometimes have the ability to figure things out until we're right in the thick of things. And we'll talk more about those things in some of our future uh, episodes here on the, uh, the commercial fireground. Well, Chris, as always, it's great to combine our shows together with uh, fire and training and buildings on fire, taking it to the streets. It's always good when we collaborate and we can put together a top-notch program that dives deep into the heart of topics that we're talking about that covers not only risks, training, preparation, construction features, and, of course, the tactical deployments that we need to, to be successful on our fire grounds. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in this evening to another edition of Fire and Training, combined with uh, Buildings on Fire Taking It to the Street with my good friend and colleague, Christopher Lam. Uh, Our goal is to provide you with the best knowledge, the best education that we possibly can for the men and women who are out in the streets 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to keep them safe. And the ultimate goal is for everyone to go home. So the next time we're together, We'll see you on another edition of Fire and Training and Buildings on Fire, taking it to the street. Thefirestore.com, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can make the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com and shop our deals page. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com. 